Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Green Tea Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sibiryakov. And I'm Chloe Rains. And today, we have the pleasure of having Keisha Payson on our podcast. Keisha, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. My name is Keisha Payson. I'm the Director of Sustainability and work here in the Facilities Management uh, Department at Bowdoin. Perfect. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about Bowdoin's Climate Action Plan, um, my first question was just a quick overview describing the project. Uh, what is the Bowdoin Climate Action Plan? Okay, well, uh, the big picture is we're trying to get our campus off of fossil fuels. Um, this is something we've been studying for several years now and have zeroed in on a path to get us there that will essentially um, take our campus steam plant and convert it to a low temperature hot water heating system that we can then use electricity um, to generate and produce that electricity with renewable energy so that we will be fossil fuel free. That's that's the quick and simple version, but there's a lot of detail that yeah, we can yeah, talk about. It's perfect. Um, yeah, if we wanted to get a little more, I know there's two phases. Phase one ends in 2037. It's looking pretty far into the future. Is there a reason for the long timelines? Just like there's a lot I know that you guys are tackling here. Yes. So um, if you think about it, we are on a pretty old campus. Um, some of our buildings are more than 200 years old. And so we are basically trying to bring the heating system of some of our historic buildings into the modern age so that we can um, not utilize steam. So our, our district heating plant right now uses steam and it pushes that steam out to 50 plus buildings on campus and that's how they're heated. Um, and so to get away from using fossil fuels, we need to get off of steam. So first we need to transition those buildings over to low temperature hot water and that's essentially this first phase. Um, and then the second phase is replacing our natural gas system with something else to generate that low temperature hot water and um, become fossil fuel free. Are there any Bowdoin accomplishments as of late that you might want to, you know, toot your horn on? Uh, okay, well, um, I mean, just the fact that we have committed to becoming a fossil fuel free campus, and I feel like um, the staff, at least certainly here in facilities management, have definitely um, embraced that, internalized it, and we are working hard on actually starting this work. Um, it's going to require a major uh, effort on campus, and maybe we can talk more about this in a bit. But So, so A, that would be the top one. Um, I think a couple other things that we've been doing is uh, looking at vehicles on campus and how to convert those from gasoline or diesel power to electric. Um, the grounds department has really embraced this with a lot of their equipment, um, moving more and more to electric equipment, uh, including this summer we're going to be having our first um, large, I think they call it zero turn, which is like a big ride-on electric mower that can mow the quad that will be not using gas. It'll be an electric-powered um, piece of equipment that we're um, scheduled to buy as soon as the new fiscal year starts. Uh, same with uh, snow blowers, weed whackers, leaf blowers, all those things. They've been um, transitioning over to electric um, thinking about transportation, 
um, and alternative transportation. Um, we really try to focus on how to make camp, uh, campus more bicycle friendly and we actually last fall received word from the um, from the League of American Bicyclists that we were rated as a silver bicycle friendly university so um, we're trying to really focus on that we have a, a new committee that is focusing on bicycle safety and trying to just make Bowdoin a more pleasant place to ride your bicycle um, and not just Bowdoin but also the community um, other things we've been working on uh, kind of a just a fun project is uh, looking at getting recognition to um, become a um, Tree Campus USA through the Arbor Day Foundation. Mm. Um, so we've set up some goals for ourselves for that. One of the projects we'll be looking to do this summer is doing a, a, a tree inventory of all the trees on campus and developing um, a database and a map that goes along with that that will be shareable. Those are some of the projects we're working on. Lots more, but... Yeah, that's I think... Honestly, I just wanted to say, like, I am, I think one of the selling points of Bowdoin coming here is, like, we, it is the desire to be so climate friendly and, like, the, all the solar panels that we have, it says, like, 17,000 panel solar field for Bowdoin, and I just do think it's impressive, especially, like, with Maine and everything and the cold weather, that is a huge challenge to tackle, but I think it's been going pretty well so far, um, yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm not sure um, if you have more questions about our um, our plan, the energy plan, but I thought I could share a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, you know, we are on a historic campus. We have some beautiful historic buildings. Um, of course, if you're trying to make something fossil fuel free, it's much easier to start with a brand new building. Um, I think of some of like the passive house projects we've done recently, while those um, Harpswell Apartments is a great example. Um, those are built very efficiently in terms of, you know, very thick walls, lots of insulation, continuous vapor barrier, and we're using electric heat in those because we knew when we were designing them that we would be supplied with this renewable energy in these solar panel projects that you were talking about. Um, and so we thought, let's just use electricity to heat them as opposed to a natural gas system or um, a number two fuel oil system. But when you're looking at a building like Massachusetts Hall, Hubbard Hall, Sills Hall, those are much older buildings and so it's a lot harder to sort of bring those into the 21st century. And so that's what we're really trying to do with this project. And, and we've been working with an engineering firm, um, RMF, to really dive deep into all each of the buildings that are currently on our district heating system and trying to figure out what's there, what do we need to change, what sort of equipment do we need to update so that it could actually effectively run on low temperature hot water. Mm. Um, and so that's been really fascinating and a little bit um, daunting mm -hmm. and mind-blowing. Um, but I think as a team, our facilities man management team is committed to this and so we are and we want to make sure we do it right we want to make sure we can do it with minimal disruption to campus there will be disruption to campus um, in terms of you know build some buildings you know some of them will be much easier to convert than others um, but some will likely have to be taken offline and um, do a deep a deep retrofit so to speak to 
bring it up to speed. Um, a great building that we're going to use as sort of like a, a trial example is Sills Hall. Mm-hmm. Sills Hall was already scheduled for a renovation, a complete renovation. And so we're going to use this as a model for ourselves to learn from, okay, how do we bring this into the low temp hot water era um, and also, um, you know, still maintains, you know, it'll still be Sills Hall. Um, some other buildings probably going to be a little harder and are going to require um, detailed studies like Massachusetts Hall. That's the oldest building on campus. It's a beautiful building, single pane glass. Um, you can see the sort of the ripples in the glass. And um, so, you know, how we address becoming fossil fuel free in a building like that is going to take some further study because it has unique yeah. challenges. But other buildings like all the brick dormitories. Mm-hmm. Um, so Winthrop, Maine, Appleton High, Coleman Moore. Um, those are were all um, renovated relatively recently, mm-hmm. and that they we finished renovating those um, between 2005 and 2007. So we think that those will be relatively easy to bring into the low temp hot water system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's not it's not going to be total mayhem all across campus but um but in terms of doing this project it will require some um, major work in some of our older buildings and so people will know about it we're going to try to you know make sure we we have a long timeline a long time horizon that we're working under so we have time to talk to people okay we're looking at you know doing some work here you know maybe in three years but like you know try to bring people along so they're not um, caught off guard. So I think communication is going to be a really key part of this project. Yeah. Do you think that there's a challenge between trying to keep the building's history and, you know, importance to Bowdoin's history alive and, like, that kind of rivals the idea of wanting to make Bowdoin more modern and easier to keep up and keep it more in line with our climate action plan? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And um, yes, I think Bowdoin has, uh, our buildings have a lot of character and yeah. we want to maintain that character and we want to preserve that. So right. so that's what makes this so challenging. Um, you know, if we were just going to kind of go through and start with a clean slate, yeah. um, it could probably be a lot easier, mm-hmm. but um, the reality is um, Bowdoin is Bowdoin because of a lot of the buildings that we have here, and so um, we'll certainly want to maintain the character of those buildings as we do this project. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff will be sort of behind the scenes, and people won't see it. It'll be in the mechanical rooms. It will be, you know, maybe some replaced radiator, you know, radiation systems, radiators. Um, but the rest of the building will remain as it is. Yeah. I wanted to know, um, how is this plan born? You know, what is the goal? I don't know much about like the lore behind the climate action plan. Yeah. So, um, the college signed a climate, uh, commitment back in 2007. And so in 2008, we started developing a climate action plan and we came up with a list of projects that we knew we could feasibly do 
between, well, so interestingly, we had to, we were, we were required as part of this climate commitment to come up with a date that we would be carbon neutral. Mm. And I'm putting that in parentheses with mm. my fingers here. And as a committee, it was a committee of faculty, staff, students, and trustees. And we initially looked at 2050 as the date that we thought we could become carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, we wrote this whole plan, and then we came back, and everybody said, oh, but there's no immediacy there. That seems so long way. One of the students said, you know, if I were to have kids and my kids were to come to Bowdoin, they would have come and gone before 2050 ever gets here. Like, we need something more immediate. Mm-hmm. So we changed our mind and decided that we would set a date for 2020 realizing that we probably wouldn't be fossil fuel free by then but we could be do as much as we could we could we came up with a a list of like 30 projects and we thought okay if we can do all these we can reduce our emissions by we came up with a calculation and we could reduce our current emissions by 29 percent and so we set out to doing those back in 2009 was when we really started in earnest and there was this urgency because it was like okay we have till 2020 we implemented all those projects, or most of those projects. Some actually ended up not being feasible, but um, but and when then by 2018 we had met this 29% reduction goal that we had set for ourselves back in 2008. And so at that point we said, okay, well let's purchase um, carbon offsets and renewable energy credits to get ourselves the rest of the way there, declare carbon neutrality, and then move on and figure out what what's next. And so then we spent a few years trying to determine what's next, and that was when we decided to really push ourselves to actually be fossil fuel free. So that's what this next stage plan is. So kind of interesting to think about, we initially said, okay, 2050, and now we actually have a plan that we hope to um, achieve fossil fuel free by 2042. So eight years earlier than we had initially thought way back in 2008 when we first started working on this. Um, you know, and it seems like, I know, I think, you know, when we first released this last springs, you know, some folks were like, well, 2042 seems like a really long ways away. It's 20 years. But when you think about the in-depth work that we need to do in a lot of these big historic buildings, it's actually going to take us that long. I mean, you know, when we, we've internally been talking about some of the plans we would need to do to get us there, we couldn't actually hire the crews, I mean, I don't know if you've heard about how hard it is to hire construction firms nowadays, but um, trying to hire as many people to help us to do this in a shorter time frame is just not realistic. Um, It is is kind of like you're trying to do this complete system overhaul while also being as least invasive as possible, and then, you know, supply chain issues from the pandemic. So I feel like we've come pretty far with what there is to work with. Yeah. we had um, a sustainability meeting for you know the office to talk about our goals for the semester. And one of the things we talked about was the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that they made in 2015. It was just it was also kind of like um, setting for the future for the next decades to come. You know, affordable and clean energy, decent work and economic bro- growth, innovation and infrastructure, and so on. I wanted to know if there is any inspiration by the UN development goals. Um, how does that go in tandem with what we have here? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because I don't think um, we specifically talked about the UN Sustainable Development Goals as we were making this plan, but certainly it dovetails mm-hmm. with it. 
Um, so like you mentioned, so there's, there's 16 goals and then of course the 17th goal is sort of how they all collaborate and work together. Um, and several of those goals feed into what we're trying to do here. Um, looking at clean, um, energy, thinking about climate change, thinking about infrastructure, um, and, and then in, in thinking about partnerships. Um, I mean, one of the things that we're, we really see ourselves having this unique opportunity to be leaders in this area. Um, I think higher ed in general has an opportunity to lead, to be leaders in this area. Um, you know, and it, it really fits in with the educational mission too, um, of higher ed, of trying to educate the leaders of the future when it comes to addressing some of these issues that the UN goals are trying to address. Um, and so, um, I, and in terms of higher ed, uh, collaborating and thinking about that 17th goal of collaboration, it's certainly something that we are trying to do, collaborating with other schools in Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an effort um, called, I think it's called, um, so Maine has a climate action plan called Maine Won't Wait. And um, the Maine campuses are also, I can't remember exactly what our slogan is, but the campuses won't wait either. Like we're trying to work together to support the goals of the Maine Climate Action Plan. And um, and then our campus has actually also been working with other New England schools who are looking at doing a similar thing that Bowdoin is trying to do, which is to get our district heating system off of fossil fuels. Um, at one point we were meeting monthly with schools from around Northern New England, just having phone calls specifically. We call, we call our campus decard meetings. Like, yeah. how are you guys going about doing this? And um, and sharing our tips with each other and, and uh, trying to occasionally bring in speakers to present to us all so we can learn because it's a major undertaking of what we're trying to do. And so um, as much as we can share and learn from each other is really helpful. Yeah. So speaking of collaboration, what are the s- schools or institutions that you, uh, you guys are specifically working with? Um, well, interestingly, um, one group that we started with is the same group of schools that we collaborated with on the Far- Farmington Solar Project. Uh-huh. So um, Amherst, Smith College, Williams College, um, and then um, even though they weren't necessarily a part of that program, but UMass, Amherst. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, I sort of reached out to them because a lot of the schools in Maine um, have been looking at... Um, biomass systems Mm. and we're trying to do something a little different by looking at low temperature hot water and electrification um you know heating that water with a a system that relies on electrification geo exchange system for example um even though we haven't specifically said how we're going to heat the low temperature hot water at the end that's one of the ideas that we have been looking at um so I reached out to my counterparts in Western Mass and said, how are you looking at this? And they are all, we're all sort of starting this process at the same time. So, yeah. um, so that's been one group that we've worked with. And that group has maybe even grown a little bit since then um, because as more schools hear about our, the conversations we're having, they're like, oh, we want to be a part of that too. So it's great. The more the, more the merrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that this affects students and people living on campus, but... How might uh, Bowdoin's Green Initiatives better and help the Brunswick community, for example, as well? That's a great question. So, I mean, our, like, a lot of our efforts are going into this transition to our district heating system, which is sort of a unique thing. But certainly, you know, the end goal 
that we may be looking at is electrifying our heating system. And, you know, hopefully others can learn from that. You know, uh, the state of Maine has really been pushing heat pumps. Mm -hmm. And um, so thinking about, um, and actually the town of Brunswick, the, one of our local elementary schools uses a geothermal system um, to heat and cool their building, uh, the Harry Beecher Stowe School. Uh But, you know, I think, we do have conversations. Um, you know, I know one of the efforts that they've been working on is thinking about composting and how to get the community more engaged with the composting effort. Mm-hmm. And I had conversations with them at the, you know, as they were trying to kick that off and share with them what we're doing here at Bowdoin, um, thinking about um, solid waste and how we're dealing with that and trying to share with them what we're doing here on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the efforts that we've been I mentioned, I think, earlier about the um, the Bicycle Friendly University program, mm-hmm. and we have this committee that's focusing on bicycle safety, yeah. and one of the efforts that um, we would really love to do is collaborate with the town and, you know, maybe work together to think about how both the Bowdoin campus and the Brunswick community can work together to um, make bicycling, you know, something that people want to do uh, yeah. as a means to get around town and feel safe and comfortable doing it. Perfect. Yeah. Another, uh, you know, we talked about the heating and another part of the plan was converting the campus vehicle fleet to 100% electric and you brought up the electric lawnmowers. I was curious as to how we're phasing out the old vehicles and equipment since I know the goals by 2027. So, um. yeah, so a lot of what we've been able to do um, is something that we've always done, which is trade in equipment when we're done with it. That's a, a great question. Um, as far as I know, that is mm-hmm. what we're planning, continuing to plan to do. But I should double check on that. But to this point, trading in equipment as we get new equipment is a typical thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Sounds perfect, yeah. yeah. So in terms of heating infrastructure, what is the timeline looking like? So some of the buildings may be able to be converted quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, others might take a year. Okay. Um, so, um, we're currently working with an engineering firm to really strategize. This is going to be a multi-year effort and it'll happen in stages Mm -hmm. and will take us 15 years to go through the full Mm -hmm. effort. Um, but some, you know, in some years it'll be easier. So for example, um, the brick dorms um, that, sorry, that we re- affectionately refer to as the bricks, mm-hmm. but Winthrop, yeah. Maine, Appleton High, Coleman, Moore, those are all relatively new, so we'll be able to convert those easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the older buildings, likely like a, a Sills Hall, where we're planning to take it offline for a year. And, you know, other things are happening in that building. It's not just the heating system. But um, it's a really great opportunity for us to get into an old building that utilizes steam to um, redo the way that heat is distributed around the building and, and making sure it can be compatible with low temperature hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the brick buildings already use a hydronic hot water heating system. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be a matter of lowering, lowering the temperature from 180 degrees down to 140 degrees. Uh-huh. And so we'll probably have to put in more radiation surface to make it successful but um but relatively speaking 
those buildings are in good shape and should we can do it relatively quickly. Uh, so do you think shifting to clean heat will change the heating inside the building? Interestingly, if we switch to a low temperature hot water system, mm -hmm. we'll reduce losses, mm -hmm. uh, energy loss. So, you know, you can imagine you have a district heating system with steam pipes around campus and we convert to a district system with low temperature hot water pipes around campus. There's less heat loss from the low temp hot water as there is from a steam system. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, so we're gaining advantages there. This is uh what would you most like to see vote in? I'm going to ask you realistically and then an ideal world. Okay. Realistically, what would you like to see vote in meet in terms of goals or what are you most excited for? So, you know, this has been a pretty consuming project focusing on the fossil fuel free campus plan, but there are a lot of other factors that go into a sustainable campus. And I, I, feel like, you know, when you think about, you know, where does our food come from? Where does, you know, where does the energy come from? Where does our waste go? How do people get around campus? How do all these things affect the people of campus? And, um, you know, I feel like there's so many issues that permeate the concept of a sustainable campus. I've always sort of liked to think of it visually. And um, right now, we've been focusing so heavily on the energy piece that I'll look forward to getting back to other aspects of sustainability um, that I've had to sort of put to the mm -hmm. side a little bit. So I'm not sure I really answered your question, but <laughs> I'll be excited. I mean, yeah. I, you know, 2042 is a long ways away. I probably won't be here to see this project to fruition, but I'm really excited because I feel like we're putting a solid plan in place that is that will get us there and is and, and I'm so I'm ex really excited about that in terms of the ideal world it's like really also focusing on all these other pieces that thinking that you know um, students are coming to live here um, one of the things that they interact with most while they're here is thinking about food you know you're all eating three meals a day here and Bowdoin dining has a heavy focus on sustainability and trying to focus on local food. Um, so really like thinking more about that, making students aware of all the things that Bowdoin Dining is doing. But I know that's one of their goals is to, they're doing a lot already that is sort of behind the scenes. So helping students understand um, kind of what's going, what's going into the food production here. If you could snap your fingers and have everything be fixed, you know. But I, I do agree with it is sustainability is such a holistic issue and energy is a really big part of the puzzle. But I can see how you're excited to also be focusing on other things like food, you know, wages. How does everything factor into that? Yeah. Thinking about habitat, thinking about diversity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we have I had some interesting conversations I've had recently are um, so there was a survey done on campus both last um last fall and the previous spring on bird strikes. And um, I had no idea how many birds were actually hitting the windows at Bowdoin. It was an issue that had not come up really before. I'd never heard anybody talk about it. And then they did this research and found like, it's actually happening and it's a thing. And so um, I was lucky enough to get connected through um, our faculty member to folks at Maine Audubon and the Portland Society of Architects to talk about, okay, what could we be doing to um, incorporate in our future green building design guidelines, um, 
bird safety, uh, you know, mechanisms for a bird safe building. Um, so, you know, that's something like those are little components of sustainability that is, it's not as big as becoming a fossil fuel free <laughs> campus, but it's also really interesting in trying to think about how we can reduce our impact and make Bowdoin a better place for um, the people and the birds that fly around campus. <laughs> So we like to basically finish off every interview by asking the interviewee the question of what sustainability means to them. Okay, that's a great question. So I definitely think about sustainability, um, and, you know, and it kind of goes back to the sort of traditional definition of it is, you know, thinking about not taking too much so that you're thinking about future generations and, you know, I think of in indigenous communities, they often mm -hmm. think about seven generations back and seven generations forward. So that's like a real ethic of sustainability right there. And so trying to think about what we do today and how that impacts future generations. Um, so, you know, thinking about sustainability also, not just in terms of natural resources, but in terms mm -hmm. of equity, um, you know, wellness, so really for everybody, you know, it's not just for some people, but sustainability for everybody. So of course, if you're going to think about that, you have to think about equity and how our impacts, how, how our actions impact um, all people. So when I think about sustainability, I think about um, well, well-being, um, both physical well-being, mental well-being. And so it's kind of a very big, broad answer, but... But yeah, I think about sustainability in, in those terms. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Yeah, it is definitely a very multifaceted um, issue. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, so. well, thank you so much. This was Ms. Keisha Payson, who works with the Sustainability Office at Bowdoin College. And that was the Green Tea Podcast for today. Thank you.